Well, it's awfully good to be here this morning. Um, a little history on uh, how I got to speak at Antioch. The first time uh, I was driving to church here at Antioch, some of you may remember this, and Ken calls me up. And uh, I'm about the roundabout going into Summit, and he says, Hey, uh, H, would you like to speak at church? I said, Yeah, you know, I, I could get our calendar, and I could probably find a time that would work for us to, to, for me to come and speak. He goes, you don't need to get your calendar. I'm talking about today. I said, whoa, I, I'm, I'm a little late to church as it is. It's about five minutes from now. He goes, exactly. So that was my first time that I got to speak, and that was at Summit. And then I had the joy of being able to speak at Antioch when we had our Christmas Eve service. What a great time that is. What a great time for our Bend community actually. Unbelievable talent that we have here. And um, that was fun. But today is special to me. Today is special because I stand on this stage like I do many times during the course of the year and week. Because as the principal, I would address my 1,500 students and staff and parents. And I get to talk about curriculum and I get to talk about graduation, and I get to talk, but today, today I get to talk about my favorite topic, and I get to talk about Jesus in my own school, and I tell you what, that's pretty special for me. Um, as last week when I was here and, and listening to Ken talk about moving to a different service, I thought I'd just briefly talk about that for a second because I'm not on staff, so I don't have to worry about selling anything. Um, and I thought he did a great job of that. But, you know, change is always hard. Just, obviously, Brandon had a hard time changing time. Um, but we all do. Change is tough. And changing to services is often difficult and inconvenient. But yet... Um, what a great joy to have to change for this church. In a day in which 80% of churches are decreasing, Antioch has to change and move to two services because of the large increase of kids. That's a great reason to change. It's not like our auditorium is filled, and that's the original reason I think Antioch moved here, but it's for the kids. And I can't think of a better reason to change than to the future generations for Christ as we build that. So that's a great reason to change. So we do need to support them in everything we can do. Um, if I was to ask you this morning in a, a group this size, how many are from Southern California? In a group this size, a number of you might do that, but don't raise your hand because I'm afraid that Oregonians might not like that, okay? I saw somebody raise their hand there. I go, keep it down. Um, and in Southern California, from what I hear, you have your share of earthquakes. Earthquakes to you might be like rain or snow to us. You have a number of earthquakes. And out here in the Northwest, we don't have a lot of earthquakes. Um, but I remember one. About 20 years ago, actually, right around this time, 1992. We had moved from Bend where we were, I was teaching here, and we moved to McMinnville, Oregon, in the valley. 
And uh, it was spring break, actually. They later called it the spring break quake of 92. And it was early in the morning. Maybe some of you were a part of that. Uh, it was one, two, I can't remember exactly what time, but I remember waking up and books were falling off the shelves and chandeliers were moving and just trying to gather myself to figure out what's going on here. And as I roll over, Patty, my wife, had, must have gotten up to get a drink of water or something, but she takes off from about five feet and flies at the bed, screaming because of the shaking. And, and so I go, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously something that we're not used to. And as unique as it is to have earthquakes here and to be shaken, as unique as it was to have my wife throw herself at me at two in the morning, <laughs> it's, it's not unique for us to be shaken. In a group this size, all of us have experienced being shaken up in our lives. A week ago, two weeks ago Monday, in a high school outside of Cleveland, Ohio, a young student came and opened up with his pistol and, and shot a number of his fellow students, of which three were killed. And as a principal, I still feel the aftershocks of that. It's too close to home to me. There's nobody here that can go throughout the course of a life or a week or a day without being shaken. And as principal of this school here, I feel the tremors on a daily basis. I feel the shock. Life shocks us in our families. A week ago, I was talking to a mother who had come in. Her daughter was struggling in school. She explained to me that they had lost their jobs. Her husband was leaving her, and her daughter was reacting to that. Maybe some of you can relate to the shock of, or the shaken of a family, or family being shaken. We all feel those relationships and families, and we can be shaken in those types. All of us, we know that life shakes our families. Life shakes our convictions. I meet with students daily who struggle with what's right and what's wrong. Is it right to, should I cheat on this test so I can get better? What's right about, should I drink or, or smoke some pot or sex? Or, they deal with it constantly. Life shakes our convictions and it doesn't take much for us to see that it doesn't have to just be high school students. All of us are shaken by that. Just pick up the newspaper and look at many adults who struggle with the same thing. Life shakes our families and shakes our convictions and life shakes us financially. Dealing with a student a few months ago who was living in a cardboard box out in the backside of Safeway. Homeless. Too young to go in some shelters, other shelters filled. He was strapped. Some of you this morning understand uh, how life can shake us financially. Some here today are wondering where your next paycheck may come from. How secure is your job? 
In economic times like this, all of us feel how life can shake us financially. Life can shake us spiritually. I often have students come in who seem so hopeless. And I talk to their parents, and it seems like they too are struggling with what's really a purpose in life. This morning, there may be some here that are struggling spiritually as well. You may be asking yourself some of those same questions. Good good questions, but you're struggling with your faith and hope. Financially, economically, relationally, physically, spiritually, none of us here get a free pass when it comes to a life that will be shaken. There is no free passes here. And maybe you were like me 20 years ago, where when I went to bed, everything seemed so secure, only to wake up with the walls literally falling in around me. Maybe you feel like that this morning. You're shaken. And yet, it was God himself who told us that we can live a life that is unshakable. It was pinned by his one of his most beloved servants, David, in Psalm 15. Let's take a look at Psalm 15. Anne, I'm going to have Anne read Psalm 15 for us today. We're going to examine Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart who does not slander with his tongue, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Thanks, Anne. Another version says, those who do these things will not be shaken. It's not advancing here. There we go. There we go. He who does these things will never be shaken. Security does not come in fancy alarms or bars on windows or insurances. And when life is being shaken, where do we go where John Trent calls it solid ground? Where do we go for that? We go to an unshakable God. That's where we go. As we take a look at Psalm 15 today, we're going to take a look at how our life will not be shaken, despite all the circumstances that come in our life. It was 1938, and our country was in a storm. On one side, we were in a Great Depression. On the other side, we're looking face in, straight into a war into Europe. If ever there was a time that we needed hope and assurance, 
It was then. President Roosevelt at the time would give his, what he called, fireside chats every Sunday. On that spring day, he had gone to church earlier in the day, as he often did. And during the church service, their pastor was going over Psalm 15. And when he addressed the nation that evening, he gave the state of the nation as well as the state of our souls. And he asked every newspaper in the country to put Psalm 15 on the front page. If it's good enough in 1938, it will surely work today in 2012. Today we'll take a look, and next week, at Psalm 15. But before we even get to the first word, I think it would be good for us struggling here. To take a look at who the author of Psalm 15 is. And that would be, of course, David. David is the author of Psalm 15. Looking at Scripture even briefly, we'll find that David is a guy who took a lot of blows in his life. He went from being a herdsman to a national hero. In the course of that, he went through a lot of adversity. And you'd think that he might be writing about some of that adversity. But instead, he says, you can live a life that is unshakable. Really? Really, David? David's life could resemble that of an elevator in Sears Tower up and down, highs and lows, unshakable. In just a brief look, you see that on one hand, David brings down the giant Goliath. And yet on the other hand, he struggles with idolatry, with murder. On one hand, David has a great victory, and the king gives him his daughter. Then, that same lady embarrasses him and leaves him. David knows the joy of being a parent and the heartache of losing a child. David has a, David has a friend, a best friend that literally gives his life for him. And then he has fair-weather friends that will leave him in a heartache. David knows highs and lows. He's marked by courage, calamity, and change. At one moment, we find David on his knees asking for repentance, and the next minute, dancing in the streets with great victories and battles. He's a roller coaster. He's up. He's down. He's all around. And yet it was David who said, I can live an unshakable life. Because David had a center to him. David understood the relationship that he had with his Lord was the center of who he was. It didn't matter if he was in a battle or, a, or on the throne or hiding in a cave. David knew who the center of his life was. 
Throughout the book of Psalms, we see one minute David is crying out, Oh Lord, why? And then he responds with, But I will trust you. But I will trust you. In the midst of David's highs and lows in life, David was able to find a calm in the storm. And so can we. As we take a look at Psalm 15 today, I hope that you can begin to see how David was able to find a calmness in all the things that were around him. There's a lot of reasons I like Psalm 15. One of the reasons is I'm kind of a list guy. I like lists. Maybe you do too. I like writing things down. You know, when I get to school in the morning, I'll write all the things I've got to do. And then I have this secret joy of crossing them out. And even if I didn't write it down, but I finished it, I'll write it down just so I can cross it out. And maybe you're like that. I like lists. I think God's kind of a list kind of a God. In Galatians 5, we have a list of the fruits of the Spirit. In 2 Peter, we find how to be a mature Christian, a list. Of course, there's genealogies in the Ten Commandments. And now we have Psalm 15. When you look at Psalm 15, it gives ten traits of godly character. This psalm, as Anne read, gives us ten traits of godly character. And that's what we're going to take a look at in the next course of the next two Sundays, all those godly traits. And I think what we'll find is that it gives us security. I was reading a study a while back on playgrounds. And they looked at two different kinds of playgrounds at schools. They both had about the same square footage. Both had about the same teacher-student ratio on the playground. But the difference was this. The study was looking at the kids on one playground that had a fence. And the other playground was wide open. And the study found that one of those playgrounds, the kids had less anxiety. There were less fights. There were better attitudes. When they came in from recess, they were more focused on their work. Of the two, which one would you think? It's the one with the fence. Because you see, sometimes those boundaries actually give us freedom. I think God knows that. And that's why he gives us these boundaries on godly character or the Ten Commandments. So that's one of the reasons I really like this verse or this, this psalm. When we take a look at this psalm, I think it will encourage us in our faith spiritually. But also what it does for me is it encourages me in all my relationships. Be that in a husband-wife or with kids or at work or at business. There's a lot of good books on all those topics and good ones to read. 
But don't skip over Psalm 15 in your hunt to build relationships. So let's take a look at Psalm 15. As the curtain goes up on this psalm, before we can even get into the ten characteristics, which we'll look at more next week. We won't get them all, because that would take a long time, I think. But we'll hit a few next week. But before we can even get in to the characteristics, we find that David opens up with two questions. The first question, O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? That's the first question that David opens up with. And these two questions are foundations to having godly character. They have to be laid out before we can even get into the ten qualities. We have to lay the foundation. And they come in these two questions. The first one, O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? Another way to say this may be, Lord, who can be your traveling companion here on earth? Who can travel with you here on earth? When I read this first question, the feeling that I get is when I was a kid, my parents had bought a Volkswagen camper. I love that thing. You don't see very many Volkswagen vans around anymore. I was kind of looking around this week. I love Volkswagens. I still have one in the garage. But it's not a, but it's not a van. You know, I remember I was a kid, but my dad had the big steering wheel that was right over the tires and and, and don't mistake anything here. This is a Volkswagen camper. It's not this RV thing. I, they didn't push a button and extend it out or anything like that. This is pretty simple. You know, it, it actually had a table you could pull out and you put a stick underneath it. The, the, the seats in the back kind of went down and you could actually lay down back there. I had a refrigerator. That's about it. But the thing I remember was camping. And one of the favorite places we liked to go when I was a kid was the San Juan Islands. Orcas Island, really. And we'd go up there with all our friends. And I'd love to run around the beaches and campfires and, and eating. And that was fun. Being with all my friends as we were camping. That's the idea I get from this. Being camping out. Hanging out. Hanging out with the Lord. That's the feeling of this verse. Now the way that Anne read it, read it a little bit different. And um, let me read it that way. O Lord, who may sojourn in thy tent? That's the other, word, other way to ask this question. I like that. Ken mentioned sojourning last week, that we're sojourners here on this earth. In the time of David, there were a lot of people who were sojourners. And they didn't have permanent residence. And so it was expected in the time of David that you would be hospitable. It was expected that you'd bring them in, give them shelter, um, feed them, give them water. Back in that time, of course, they didn't have the GPS and they didn't have Motel 6. And the maps they had were pretty, pretty rugged at that. And so when they would come across your way, you were expected to help them out. Now, Bob, Shaw, and I are, are in a uh, challenge each other a little bit this year to read through the Bible. 
Bob, how are you doing with that? Okay, so-so. All right. And memorize scripture along the way. And so, I, as we just finished Deuteronomy a little while ago, are you through Deuteronomy yet, Bob? Uh-oh. You're behind. In Deuteronomy 23, it talks about Moses traveling those 40 years with the people of Israel. Could have been 11 days, right? But their lack of faith made them stretch it out to 40 years. They were the ultimate sojourners. And as they were traveling, they came across the Amorites. And Moses asked the Amorites if they could bring them in, if they could, if they could show some hospitality, and they said no. And Moses, in Deuteronomy 23, just lashes out at them. Just read in Judges 8, Gideon does the same thing. As he's in pursuit of somebody, they're also sojourning. And they ask a number of people, could you bring us in? It was just the way you did back then. And they said no, and, and Gideon was the same way, harsh to those people. In contrast to that, we're sojourners here on this planet. This is not our permanent home. We're sojourners here on this earth. And God's saying this. He's opening up his arms and saying, as you sojourn here, you are welcome in my tent. I know your future. In fact, I know your past. I know where you've messed up. It matters not. You're welcome, God's saying. You're welcome to come into my tent. Spend time with me. That's, that's what David's saying in this first question. The invitation that David raises in this question is who can share God's tent? Who can camp out with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That's the question. And the second question, who may dwell on that holy hill? When I read this verse, the feeling I get here is being away from home for a long period of time. Maybe a va long vacation, maybe a business trip, maybe you're a student and you're away at school, but you come home and the house just smells good. It's your own bed. It's your own pillow. It just, it relaxes you. It gives you rest. That's the feeling I get in this second verse here. If the first verse said, who can camp out with God as sojourners? If the first question was, we're just sojourners here. Our time here on this earth, it's like, the, it's like the dress rehearsal. The real performance is later on, eternity. The time that we have right here, the first question says, is like the pregame. It's the warm-up. The second question, the second question says, it's time to unpack. The first question Reminds me of Psalm 39. Show me, Lord, where my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. 
That's the feeling of the first verse. We're not here very long. This is just the dress rehearsal. God's inviting us in during this time. The second question says, who may dwell on the holy hill? The word dwell gives us an idea of something that God is saying, come near to me, draw near, a closeness, something permanent. The second question says, it's time to unpack. It's no longer an overnight stay. It's permanent. The actual Hebrew word for dwell is to settle down. Who may settle down on the holy hill? It gives us a sense of peace, security. Something that each and every one of us, especially in times where a life is being shaken, we look for. That's the feeling of our second question. The holy hill. When I think of going home, I don't think of going home to a holy hill. But this home, what David's talking about, they knew exactly what it meant. In the time of David, the holy hill was something where God's presence was known. The holy hill represented Mount Zion. Mount Zion was the place where God's presence was at, at the time of David. God's presence was known on the holy hill, at Mount Zion. It was Mount Zion where Jerusalem was built. Mount Zion where the tabernacle was taken. Mount Zion is where Solomon built the temple, the construction of his temple. The holy hill was more than just a, a bunch of dust and rock. The holy hill was the best place you could be. And they knew that. That's where God's presence was. And that's the question that David says. Do you want to dwell? Do you want to dwell in my presence? That's the question of the holy hill. It gives us an idea of Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Both of these questions, both of these questions are to the same person. The same person who is able to sojourn, to walk, to camp out, with God day to day is the same person who can move in with him and spend eternity in heaven. By entering into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we move from being just strangers to sons and daughters of the Almighty God. These are the first and foremost questions that David lays down. This is the start of an unshakable life. We each have a unique life story, don't we? On how God has revealed himself to you. That's why I love baptisms. 
I love to hear people's real life story on how God revealed themselves. I love those stories. But no matter what the story is, each story goes down the same road. And that road ends on a rugged hill with a blood-stained cross with our Savior Jesus voluntarily giving his life for you and me. And God's desire that each of us would say yes to David's two questions. That we would say, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to camp out with you. I want to hang with you day after day after day. Because of what you've done for me, I can dwell on your holy hill. I can dwell in your presence forever. But to do that, it asks us two things. One of them, a response. And the second, a commitment. And I think the response is somewhat easier. The commitment, well, it could cost us everything. The response is this. Are you willing to surrender to God's love? Are you willing to surrender to God's love? I don't think you're supposed to come and speak at Antioch unless you give a C.S. Lewis quote. That's kind of the feeling I get. So I thought I'd better put one up here, and I love this one. Right? None of us are safe from God's love. Wow. Just ponder that one. None of us are safe. You know why that is? Because God is pursuing us. He's pursuing us and wants us to surrender to his love. In the most unlikely places and the most unlikely ways, God just seems to come around us and nudge us to have that relationship with him. This week, this week, chances are that you're going to be shaken. You might be shaken by something that happens to you in your health. It might be something that happens at work. It might be something that happens at home with a friend. Odds are that this week you're going to be shaken. But when we have that relationship with Christ, when we can camp out and dwell with Him, when we have that relationship with Him, it's the start of an unshakable life. And maybe this morning... Maybe this morning there's some here today that maybe you're not quite sure. Maybe this morning you're saying, that's the kind of peace and security I want to camp out with God. I desire to know that I can dwell with Him forever. And you're not sure of that. I can't think of a better place and a better time 
And maybe God is nudging you this morning like he's nudged many of us to invite him in, to surrender to his love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Psalms 15. And how appropriate it is that to have an unshakable life that must start with a relationship with you. And Father, I thank you that you came down to sacrifice your life for us so that throughout the course of our life, we know our future and we can live a life that's unshakable. In Jesus' name, amen.